My name is Jenna. I was restless. Don't ask me why, I just was. So I recorded. There were no Fandalites episodes planned. Brent didn't need me right then. So even though the sun was going down, I recorded an episode. book is the Hork-Bajir Chronicles part one. Next episode will be part two. It was a little bit of a longer book, so we split it into two. They can't all be megasodes, friends. No, this is a close second. This book opens with Tobias visiting the Hork-Bajir hidden colony and sitting in on a story from the past. That story starts with the young Andalite Aldrea landing on the Hork-Bajir homeworld with her brother, mother, and father, who happens to be Prince Ciro, who infamously helped empower the Yurks. The family is there to observe the peaceful planet and generally be forgotten by the rest of the Andalites. Aldrea befriends Doc Hami, a hork seer who has the capacity for higher-level intelligence unlike the rest of his species. We also get some POV chapters from Espelin 9466, known to us as Visor 3. Espelin experiences a host for the first time and feels driven to acquire bigger, better forms and never to return to living in the Yurk Pool. He and a force of Yurks land on the Hork-Bajir homeworld and begin capturing hosts. Dakami and Aldrea learn from a neighboring tribe that Geds have been spotted planet-side. Aldrea tries to warn her family, but they are obliterated by the Yurks. She and Dakami escape pursuit by jumping into, into a mysterious, misty chasm the Hork-Bajir call Father Deep. So that's the f- just the first half of this book. Oh. And it is. There's a lot. There's a lot of world building. Yeah. Yeah, no kidding. The thing I want to talk about first is the fact that this happens. It's basically the story of the Yurks' first homeworld invasion on the Hork-Bajir homeworld, right? I think so. It's it's implied that they've tangled with um, some other aliens in the past, but they all seemed to be like on the level of individual ships that they took over. They're, they're, yeah. they, the Skritna are name-checked and the Ungakic minstrels. They've uh, taken technology from and, and hosts. And then the Hodgebran, they couldn't take over because they have like a distributed nervous system instead yeah, of a, which a central I brain. Really liked. So they, yeah, they just, they just ganked them instead and took their shit. So this is like relatively early in the Yurks invasion cycle, I guess. Uh, and what fucked me up real bad was that we get an Earth year date for this and it's 1968. Yeah, it's wild because there's a brief aside on like the Yurk homeworld when they just sort of overrun the barricades and take uh, a couple ships. And that's 1966. So it's been two years. And 1968, this book came out in 1996. So that's not even 30 years ago. That's a short time span. For some reason, I, I don't really know why. I just assumed that the Yurk Andalite War had been going on for like 200 years, many generations. Probably has something to do with the the depth of their hatred for each other that they've displayed, and the fact that Axe talks about how you know many worlds have fallen. It, the fact that they are so against each other in such a really uh, basic, almost instinctive manner suggests that this has been going on for so long that they've learned just absolute hatred and absolute absolutely no empathy for each other. But 
Um, that doesn't seem to be the case. Well, I mean, I think in the case of Andalites, um, based on their interactions with other races in this book, mm. they just hate everyone who isn't an Andalite. They're like huge, super racists. I don't really know what the Yurik's beef with the Andalites was. I assume we'd have to read the Andalite Chronicles to find that out. That would be, yeah. I mean, we'll get there. And I'm, I'm curious to see what that is, because it... it the Andalites, uh, this is another thing I just assumed. I assumed that maybe in the past the Andalites were a little bit more fucking chill and not as racist as they are, and that over over time and in, in protracted battle with the Yurks have just sort of developed it. That does not seem to be the case. The Andalites are all pretty shitty to the Yurks the whole time. Like, they, when the Yurks overrun the Andalites in 1966, the Andalites who were like getting the message of the attack or like whatever fuck the yurks they can't do shit we gave them dead bodies they're the worst blah, 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 blah. so that's just that's just like how they are i guess yeah they've got cute little racial epithets for uh for all of the uh, it makes me wonder what axe calls the humans in uh in private yeah i mean we get so the lead one of the chapter leads for this book aldrea we get uh, a little bit more empathy from her but even then, not a lot. Like, she becomes friends, wink, with Dakami. <laughs> and and she seems to be able to engage with him and, and really communicate with him and does seem to feel empathy for the Hork-Bajir. But she doesn't seem to actually talk to a lot of other Hork-Bajir. Like, she's found the one Hork-Bajir who is super intelligent and befriended him but does not seem to be hanging out with the rest. So even then, it's like, well, still an Andalite, I guess. Yeah, and, and even her friend, Dak, the, the, the seer, the smartest of the Hork-Bajir there, she's like lying to him constantly. She does seem to withhold some really useful information from him at times. Yeah, yeah, like she teaches him math and stuff, but... Yeah, she teaches him math, but does not teach him about the Yerks. And the the scary parts yeah. of the universe, because she, I think, in a certain level, she still thinks of him as a child. Well, it's, it's sort of implied, I think, by the behavior of the Andalite soldiers in this book that they kind of think of all non-Andalite races as children of one sort or another. Yeah, no kidding. They they the Andalites mentioned that the Geds are non-sentient, which I thought was interesting because that's kind of not what Espelin indicates in his chapters. Because Esplan indicates that when they sink into the Ged brains, there is there's something there. There is some sort of intelligence and, and emotion coming from the Geds. And the fact that the Andalites seem to consider the Geds as non-sentient and basically give them to the Yurks to enslave suggests that, yeah, the Andalites don't perceive anybody below a certain intelligence level as being sentient. I think it's interesting that Ciro describes the Yurk-Ged relationship as a symbiosis. Because it's not? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure what the Yurks are bringing to the table there exactly. I don't think so either. And I'm certain the Andalites think it's intelligence, but we also get a pretty... It, it's not framed as creepy in the book, but it's pretty creepy story about Espelin's first experience taking over a host. How he, he and his Yurk siblings and the people that he was in the yerk pool with get trainer geds to infest extremely disturbing that's got to be i mean none of none of being a yerk host is great but being a yerk trainer host 
seems like it's probably the worst because you get dragged out and you get these moments where you're free, but they are fleeting and you have to deal with like baby yurks in your brain. Mm -hmm. It just seems pretty horrible. Yeah, there's an interesting and honestly, I I have a note about this, how uh, we sort of establish in this book that the yurk and the quote unquote yurk empire that we've been presented with so far as like the entirety of the yurks is actually a nomad fleet because it's this group uh, started as I think a few thousand. Yeah, it's very it's not a huge number. Yeah, a few thousand yurks who hijack some Andalite ships and take off uh, from the homeworld. Andalites have been embargoing that ever since. So all of the yurks we've seen are basically like yurk ISIS. They're they're <laughs> They're the extremists who who started the violence, and that's why they're all cartoon villains almost. But even among them, we see in this first generation, Esplan talks about oh, how yeah. as like a, a large portion of the of his poolmates in the ship, they do not have a good reaction to having taken a host. No, he he explicitly says that like he's unique among the Yurk pool in that when he got into the host, he was like, this fucking rules. I'm going to do everything possible to make sure I get the coolest body and I'm in a host for the rest of my life, Um, which kind of explains some of his his drive later on. Mm -hmm. But he definitely says like, yeah, most of the other Yurks found it really sickening to enslave a host. And that's that's really important. (laughs) Yeah, that's a really important thing to know about the Yurks. Yeah, yeah. And the, the fact that, that modern Yurks have basically, almost in a cult-like fashion, have had that trained out of them. Well, presumably, that's the thing is, like, we we haven't really gotten into contact with a lot of Yurks. Uh, the Yurk that we got in the last, I think it was the last book, the one with Cassie, mm-hmm. that she seemed to have, well, they seem to have some real hesitance still about their role. Although it, you you make a good point that does seem to have been indoctrinated into them that they shouldn't. Right. They only started really having doubts once they were separated from the group that was enforcing that belief. Then Cassie was trying to display how the quote unquote Andalite bandits that are fighting the Yerks are they don't want to be murdering all of the Yerks. And that's because it, it really changes the flavor of this war if there's like a large percentage of the Yurks that 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 are just indoctrinated. I mean, I guess it doesn't change it that much because what are you going to do? Let them take over? Well, I mean, it still tastes horrifying. That's still the flavor of the war is just horrifying and sad. So, And I mean, we get a very similar, as you said, you pointed out before we started recording, we get a similar sort of flavor <laughs> from this combat as well because things are going bad really quickly on the Hork-Bajir homeworld and Aldrea is like well the Hork-Bajir are gonna have to fight or you're gonna have to be enslaved but Doc Hummy is not down on that no he has a Cassie reaction he's like she, she says slaves are killers those are your options and he says so you'd have us be killers and she says yes and he's like well okay yeah, because what do you what do you really say to that? I thought better of you. I think this this is again just a really well written book, maybe more so than the the bulk of the mainstream Animorph books. It seemed less burdened by needing to be for a certain audience level. Uh-huh. So I think we get a really interesting split between Aldrea, who is ruthless, as Dakami would say and yeah. does say. Yeah, <laughs> she's she is ruthless and has to has to get this done because she knows what the Yurks are possible or what the Yurks will do. And she's right. 
She's right. I mean, I think she's also somewhat living that uh, inherited shame, right? She's Ciro's unkindness is her nickname. Um, <laughs> it's a pretty sick burn. W- well, yeah, because she wants to she wants to be a warrior, not like all those other Andalite females that mm. are, are happy being scientists or, or flower arrangers or whatever, which like, can I just say, I know, I know, I know that it's the 60s Andalites, but come on, <laughs> come on. <laughs> Your gender relations are terrible. What's going on here? Yeah, I was surprised. I was sort of surprised by the the sexism angle, which comes up in this entire book, Mm -hmm. not just the first half. Uh, It seemed... I mean, I'm always glad when any piece of media is actually engaging actively with sexism, even if they're not calling it sexism, which I don't think she ever really does in this book. That might be a human concept that the Andalites aren't ready yet for, but... I think you'll find that the Andalites are far superior in their concepts, okay? Our sexism is so advanced. (laughs) It's the most advanced sexism possible, just like their racism. Fusion sexism? Come on, we use that to power children's toys. (laughs) Like Easy Bake Ovens? Yes. It's, yeah, the the Andalite sexism and racism, racism in this book is like off the fucking chain. Like there's so much of it. And it does such a bad job for them. Mm-hmm. Like, it really fucks things up. Yeah, well, like, no no one, no one takes Aldrea seriously. They, they think it's just, like, a silly, adorable idea that she's going to be a warrior. That's not done. Look at the size of your tail blade. It's not yeah. big enough. It's like a scalpel. Speaking of horrifying things that we learn about Andalites in this book, they can taste. They can taste. Yeah! Hey, what's up, K.A.? What's up with your cannon? Her little brother, Barafin, Aldrea's little brother, Barafin, mentions the grass tastes fine. What? How? How are you getting that information? I mean, like, one, it's horrifying that you're tasting everything you touch with your feet when you oh, walk on it. Oh, it's so bad. That's just yeah. weird. And two, what the fuck is up with acts and flavors then? Yeah, yeah, Brent. If you can, if you can taste as an Andalite, well, maybe the thing is you're only ever stepping on, like, city sidewalks and he could step on a cinnabon there's nothing stopping him from step stomping on a cinnabon <laughs> that's true i'm gonna stomp down on this cinnabon so bad when i get one what is up axe 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 is freaky. what are you doing axe is just freak axe is just a freak he's just so fucking stoked to be human and to be able to push things into his mouth <laughs> god want we get back once again to the vor <laughs> Like, <laughs> we never current. got away from the void. Yeah, that's fair. So they also name check that the Andalites only recently invented morphine technology in 1968. This, I think, is invented history. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, so we've established as canon, more canon than canon, that the Andalites developed their bodies via morphine technology, <laughs> like half-finished morphs. That's They've developed the perfect bodies in their eyes. Yeah. So obviously they had to have had it longer than just recently um, if it's too new for even any of the soldiers to really have it. Yeah, that's a great point, the, Brent. The only reason Aldrea has it is because she's like buddies with someone whose mom like designed the morphine cube, which we learn is called the Escafil device. Which is not as good a phrase as morphine cube. No, not even a little. But it is a very Andalite way of naming something. Yeah, yeah, 100%. 
uh, except for homeworlds, because apparently they just call it the whatever species lives their homeworld, which <laughs> I guess gets awkward if more than one species lives on the same planet. Yeah, right. So they just call this planet Hork-Bajir homeworld, which gets the point across just fine, I guess. It's kind of a mouthful. Yeah, the only other... The only other name for they have for it is Sector 5 RG21574-78-4. Oof, forgive me. 74-8 <laughs> is an entirely different planet. Right, it's the 8th from the sun in a different, <laughs> a different sector. <laughs> so not like, it's not a great name for a planet. It seems like a really missed opportunity. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, so Morphine, they act like it's new. They had to have had it for longer than this. So I'm thinking they had Morphine technology, they developed their perfect bodies, and then once you have your perfect form, why, right. would, you, why would you ever want to change out of it? Why you don't need Morphine anymore? So exactly. It just sort of fell by the wayside. So I think this is less a recent invention and more a recent rediscovery. Yeah. So yeah, like thousands of years ago, maybe millions, who knows? They, they morphed their perfect body, lost the technology, that happens. And then just recently they rediscovered it. They still don't seem to be super excited about it. Like Aldrea uses it like once or twice in this entire book. Two good, two good ends, but like that it's such a it, this book really reconceptualized the role of morphing in this war because it's it's the only thing the animorphs have going for them. Yeah, but to the Andalites, it's like an afterthought. It's not even a weapon. Yeah, it's like nothing for for the rest of the Yerk Andalite War. Morphing has no place. It seems to have no use. Nobody gives a damn. It's just that's such a weird way to think about it because the Animorph books are literally just all about morphing. <laughs> right, hence the name. Yes, yeah, appropriately named. You crack open an Animorph's book and it's morphing time right there. It is every single time. So that was weird. That was just a weird way of reconceptualizing the war in general. It makes sense that um, Visser Three would have that weird blind spot. In terms of, you know, because if he was a, a real Andalite, he would be like, right. well, those aren't Andalites. We only see them in Morph. Like, obviously, they're not going to be in Morph when they fight as Andalites don't do that. But Visser 3, Esplin, is like really enamored with the idea of morphine because apparently hmm. Andalites are the only species who see this technology as like completely mundane and useless. <laughs> And they're right. They're like, every other species other than the Andalite is right, because this is a dope technology. I know. Well, Al Aldrea, the first thing she does with it is have a little fun. She, like, morphs this little um, rodent creature, like a flying squirrel. Yeah, the Chadu. Yes, the Chadu. And uh, just, like, has some fun brachiating along with, with Dak. Yeah, it's a beautiful moment. They climb to the top of the tree and they hold hands, which doesn't mean anything because they're aliens. Right, right. This will never come up again. Not at all. So yeah, that, that I think that's a really good point that Visor 3 has a real blind spot for it because it's dope to him. So it makes sense that you would always be in Morph and agree, hard agree with, with Visor 3 yeah, from this end. 100%. But it also, it also raises a question, not about morphing specifically, but the Yerks seem to specifically want sentient creatures. They seem to specifically want them, and I think that's an interesting choice because if the draw of having a host is that you have, like, way better vision or vision entirely, if that's the allure, there are creatures that have a really good vision on planet, and humans are, like, not one of them. Like, we've got okay vision, but as Tobias points out every opportunity possible, human vision is really shit. So it's weird to me that the Yerks 
seem to specifically want sentient creatures. Like, they're not happy with whatever they can get. They want sentient creatures. Yeah, it's interesting. And I, I've got a couple thoughts on that. Like, my initial instinct is to say, well, you know, Earth might be the only planet that has species on it that see better than the or have better senses than the uh, sentient ones, because every other planet has like 12 species on it tops. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I don't think I think you you have a really good point. And I think it goes back to the fact that some of these Yerks really did not like taking hosts uh, when they first tried it. If they if the Yerks have the option for their like conquering force to be in non sentient hosts, then they don't have that constant exposure. They have to think about like what they're doing next time they get into a sentient host, like how they're they're shoving that down. So I think it's it's a manner of the Yerk High Command just kind of constantly exposing them to that and, and making it plain. They've normalized having to wrestle with another sentient creature in order to control your body. Because if you, if you weren't having to do that constantly, you might stop and think, well, like, do we need another planet? Like, I'm doing pretty okay. Do we need another one? And we definitely see. So this book, in the beginning of this book, Espelin explains that, like, sub-visors and visors aren't really a thing yet, but they've just started to be a thing. Right. And he and another... Do you remember the name of that other Yerk? Uh, Carger, who Espelin describes as too crude, too violent, and overly ambitious, which, like... If, <laughs> if that's not Visor 3, if, I don't know. If fucking Visor 3 is describing you as too crude, violent, and ambitious, I don't even know what to say, Carger. <laughs> Yeah, but the the Espelin that we start off with is a lot more, he's like really intelligent. And that's like his thing is that he knows the Andalites so well. He studies them so well because he thinks knowing the most about them will give him a host body. And it does. He understands uh, that he doesn't have that same sort of Andalite filth immediate reaction. He seems to be like attracted to the Andalites. And and there are a couple moments where other Yurks say something like that to him, like, oh, wow, you really fucking love the Andalites, huh? And he's sort of, he doth protest too much. Like, he's a little bit like, no, I just, how better to beat them in battle? But you know, he's, he really seems to admire the Andalites. Uh, and so I actually, I have a, a theory on this. I think this is my new personal canon. Carger killed Esplan and assumed his identity. Because the Esplan that we get in this first chapter, like, there's an interaction where Carger is, like, shouting an order and Esplan's like, well, you can't just do that, the Andalites, and he's like, shut up, I said, just do it. And that's way more Visser 3 than, like, well, the Andalites are gonna act this way. Like, Visser 3 doesn't use strategy in the Animorphs books. He just wants people and things in his giant mouth. He he has, you know, his his subordinates don't immediately leap to do whatever he's shouting at and he cuts their head off. It's that's Carger behavior, if I've if I've ever seen it. There's a point where Carger like declares himself a subvisor because he just he like he just does it and nobody argues because nobody <laughs> knows really what a subvisor is yet. <laughs> he just fucking made it up. Yeah. He's just like, yeah, I'm one of those. That's the thing. I'm one of them. And then later, Esplin does the same thing, but doesn't ever really mention that he does the same thing. So I think, if anything, that points to what you're saying. I haven't figured out why yet, exactly. Maybe because he figured that if he was Esplin, the one who knows about Andalites, then he'd be in a better position to get promoted up in their war against oh. the Andalites than Carger, the dude who um, ran away. I like that, especially since... 
that that change seems to happen once the Andalites arrive. Mm-hmm. So maybe once the Andalites are here, Carger was like, oh, shit, uh, S1's going to become a visitor before me. I better take his place. <laughs> Quite like that. Yes. God, there's there's so much in this first half that we haven't even talked about yet. Yeah, the only other thing I wanted to mention, and we've kind of talked about this a little bit already, is that that at one point Esplin refers to the Yerk Pool. He refers to the quote warm intimacy of the Yerk Pool mm. at the beginning. By the end, even by the end of this first half of the book, he is like absolutely disgusted by the Yerk Pool and by the idea of the Yerk Pool. And I thought even that was an interesting switch because the host controllers we see on Earth seem to spend as little time in the Yerk Pool as possible before they get back into a host. And I appreciate that that has to happen because they're doing an invasion plan. But it's really interesting that they also seem to be indoctrinated to not love the Yerk Pool anymore. Uh-huh. And to, to think it's vile and cold and disgusting. I mean, it is a little gross. It absolutely is for us humans. All but... of the descriptive language that K. Applegate uses around the Yerk Pool is, I feel like, specifically chosen to engender a little bit of a gross feeling. I agree, which is why the phrase warm intimacy of the Yerk Pool stuck out to me, because that seemed like a very, like, gathering around the fireplace, yeah, but it's yeah. a jacuzzi. I don't find jacuzzis warm or intimate, but I I think that there are some who do, maybe. (laughs) Bacteria find them plenty warm and and intimate. (laughs) So I thought that was interesting. The other thing I wanted to point out is that you were 100% totally vindicated. Andalite trees do talk to each other. Page 56, baby. Andalite (laughs) trees talking confirmed. More canon than canon. What up? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, they literally communicate with each other and aldrea is super surprised that the trees on this planet kind of don't right well at first she's uh uh, dax says oh that's the you know the song of the language of the trees and she's like oh your trees talk too and he's like uh no we just like make like (laughs) giant cellos out of them to talk to each other across the valley (laughs) which i like i think that this book has some really good alien alienness yeah like the the weirdness of this planet is good, and I think it's cohesive. Well, and there's this scene um, at the very end of the first half, right before they flee into Father Deep, where Dak gets cut by like one of the arm blades of a controlled Hork Bajir, and he's just like looking at himself, like, "Holy shit, you can, you can use these for that? Like, it's never <laughs> occurred to him." Yeah, he has this whole, like, page where he's recounting uh, one time, like, a really old person got cut on accident while we were harvesting bark and, like, died. And that was crazy to him. Yeah, and then he's like, holy shit, you can you can do that on purpose? What? What am I? Yeah, we are walked through the process of Doc realizing that violence is a thing. <laughs> Like, learning violence, we walk through that process, and it is intense. Yeah, it's it's rough, but it felt extremely alien. Yeah, I thought it was very well-written and pretty upsetting. Yeah, definitely. So, you were talking about the, the warm moistness of the Yerk Pool. Sorry, intimacy, not moistness. <laughs> we learn a little bit more about Yerks than we knew before uh, in, in this one. We learn that they have sonar in their natural state, yeah. which is kind of fun. So it's not like they're blind completely. So I feel like when um, they're talking about how great vision is, it's a little, come on, you, you can see stuff. 
Yeah, the whole the whole emphasis on vision in general is a, a little ableist, and I think Ka's done a really good job of avoiding issues like that so far. But it's just this one thing, which isn't great. But I mean, if you don't if you don't have vision, it's fine. I, I can kind of see it blowing your mind if you've never like seen anything before, and then all of a sudden you can. I, that that makes sense that that would be a big thing that the Yurks take away from slotting into hosts with eyes better than the Ged. Yeah, in universe, I think it makes sense. At the same time, like Sonar in Marvel Comics, that's that's a superpower. You're blind, but you can see with, with your ears. That's Daredevil <laughs> does that. Yeah, it just seems to me like there are cooler powers than vision. Like there are there are creatures who can do cooler things than have vision. And I'm like, why aren't the Yurks going after them? We also learn that they can extend little palps uh, and, and sort of sense an interface with electricity to some extent, which is pretty interesting. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I wonder if that'll, do you think that'll come up ever? I hope so. I think um, okay. if if nothing else, I bet we'll learn way more about Yurks when we get around to reading the Andalite Chronicles, which we're going to do out of order. I guess the Andalite Chronicles is Chronicles number one. Uh, but since it takes place prior to book one, we didn't read it first. So we're just going to have to shove that in wherever, along with the Elemist Chronicles. Probably later. Uh, probably later. But it's, we need to get back to the normal flow of things. I don't want to break up the David trilogy that's coming up. Oh, I'm so excited oh, about I that. I know. That's going to be great. So we also, uh, I, I wanted to express my frustration with the entire the entire reason they're on the Hork-Bajir homeworld in the first place. Okay. Is as punishment for Ciro. Because they've been giving him, like, menial Charlie work. You know, he has to clean out the, the urinals and go clear the rats out of the bad place or whatever. And Because uh, they fucking hate him. Right, because he, he unleashed Yerks on the galaxy nice inadvertently. once. Yeah, exactly. He believed that two different species could get along uh, and that maybe these had the same right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness as Andalites do and... Well, look at look at you fucking that up, dude. And he's not like wrong, right? He's he's not no. incorrect. The the Yerks and the Andalites should be as brothers. I mean, yeah, I think Ciro is the one good Andalite. Well, you're you're a Yerk. Shit, <laughs> shit, Brent. I mean, you're not wrong. I mean, it just I, I think they should not have given them the Geds, which are sentient and probably would not consent to that. I got the impression that they sort of like took over the Geds on their own. Well, then what was the kindness? The kindness was... Was just giving them technology? Uh-huh. For some reason, I thought that the Andalites encouraged them to take over the Geds, but maybe that's not the case. I think the Andalites were just chill with them taking over the Geds, because who cares? They're Geds. Sure, same difference. Well, so the whole reason that they send them out here is because it's like a planet nobody cares about, but like the whole reason that Ciro's folly is known is because he made first contact with an alien species and fucked it up, and so his punishment, (laughs) they're like, all right, so go to this other planet and make first contact with this other species. What?! That's a great fucking point. It does seem like that's the worst thing you could have Ciro do. <laughs> He's like, no, no fucking brownies till you finish your ice cream. I don't understand. But, you know, also, that sort of goes hand in hand with the completely bizarre assessment of the Hork-Bajir by the Andalite military as, like, just worthless. Nobody's interested in them. They're peaceful herbivores, so who cares? And the weird- Even though they're covered with blades. Right, so that's the weird thing, is like, early on, uh, I think it's Aldrea who says like, yeah, we're here because nobody cares about them, nobody cares about us, that's that's why they stuck us here. But like, the first time that her little brother, 
runs into a hork he's like, oh man, look at the natural weaponry on this peaceful native sentient species with heads big enough for Yerks to fit into. I wouldn't want to get in a fight with one of them. It, like, are you in, are you kidding me? I know it's the first planet the Yerks have taken, but like, now I do, I do think this is consistent with the portrayal of the Andalite military command structure in the rest of the Animorphs books because they are the keystone cops of the galaxy. They're just not good at making strategic decisions. No kidding. They are miserably bad at, at combat. It's a, it's a shock. I mean, it's no surprise the Yurks have gotten as far as they have. It's a shock that the Andalites have not been wiped out because they do not seem to have their shit together. They really don't. Well, a big part of their problem, I think, is hubris. They're constantly underestimating everybody else and overestimating themselves. Uh, time and time and time and time again. They just, they never fucking learn from it. No. And I think the Yurks do. Like, for, for all, Visor 3 aside, I think the Yurks are, seem to be a lot more with it when it comes to military strategy. Even though they're making up their hierarchy as they fucking go along. <laughs> just uh, telling in a way yeah. about what they were like before coming in contact with the Andalites. Like, they learned a lot from the Andalites, and some of it was really shitty militaristic stuff. <laughs> I know we were we were talking about this earlier. I do want to mention again, I think Aldrea is somewhat more atypical. Maybe it's just Andalite teenagers in general, mm. because she admits to herself that Dak is her intellectual equal. Like, he's not had the same schooling, but he's just as smart. And that's real and characteristic, I think, for a lot of Andalites. I think Axe is not quite as woke as Aldrea <laughs> in that regard. <laughs> he... He has his moments on occasion where he's like, oh, wow, you guys invented books before computers? That's so backwards. Yeah, he is. He's impressed, but in a way that's kind of nagging. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, he still has a lot of like, oh, your your technology is so primitive. Obviously, I can hack into this in two seconds. But um, they both... Of the Andalites we've seen, the teenage ones have definitely had way less extreme attitudes about how much better than everyone else the Andalites are than the adults that we've seen here. Aloran's like a fucking monster. All of the soldiers that we run into are just complete shitheads. Even the ones that have very small, uh, just two lines or whatever, they are all assholes. <laughs> Aldrea does seem a little bit more open to learning and open to the experiences. And I don't know if that's a, yeah, a teen Andalite thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Teen Andalite is my new Your favorite magazine. Yeah, my favorite magazine. <laughs> All I could think of was Tiger Beat. Yeah, things to do with your hooves that'll drive them wild. <laughs> it's got a got a, a threefold uh, poster of Prince Alfangor in the middle. <laughs> but like going down so that you can get the full extent of his tail. Yeah, yeah, 100%. The tail's the important part. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's what we're here for. Plus, you can Tell already, us how sharp it is. You can see it over his head because he doesn't have a torso. Uh, the only other thing I wanted to make a note of is the fact that Aldrea doesn't is there's a point where where she morphs the chadu because she wants to climb with Dakami and and you know spend time with him and be cute and all, mm -hmm. but it's weird to me that she doesn't have a Horkbajir morph. It it seems to me like maybe she has an instinctive hesitance to morph a Horkbajir, and I don't know if that's because she's hanging out with another Horkbajir and that'd be like weird, or if she just doesn't want to morph sentience. I mean, it could be a little from column A, a little from column B. I know the Animorphs, except for Cassie, were not super jazzed uh, about it at first. It's an interesting thing to mull over, then. I just want to leave everybody with the horrifying image of um, Esplin 
secreting a toxin to both numb and dilate the ear canal he's crawling into because ear canals dilating is some Cronenberg shit. So everybody just enjoy that uh, until next week. Thanks for listening. Next week, we'll be covering the second half of the Hork-Bashir Chronicles um, in which things go terribly, terribly wrong. And what happens after they descend into the mysterious Father Deep of which the Hork-Bashir have many legends, but very little knowledge about. Right. Hit us up on Twitter. We're at Fandalites. Email us, fandalites at gmail.com. We're on Tumblr, fandalites.tumblr.com. Thanks to Dustin O'Dell for the use of his music as our intro and outro. You can find his stuff at dustinodell.bandcamp.com. Uh, and until next week, remember, nostalgia is a drug. <laughs> <laughs>